Oh, hi, John Moe here. Hey, before we start, I wanted to let you know that our very first Depression Mode merch item is available, and it's sweatpants. Extremely cozy sweats in a variety of colors for working out or not really working out much at all. Printed with the name and logo of the show. Perhaps the name Depression Mode is an explanation for why you're choosing to wear the sweats. I don't know. I won't judge. The store is open right now, just in time for gift giving for the holidays. Give the gift of sweats. Check our Twitter at DepressPod for details, or check our Facebook group, Preshies. Okay, on with the show. Amy, I've probably interviewed you half a dozen times over the years, and I've always meant to get to this, and I never do, which is being in the Big Lebowski. That was fun, right? Yeah, it was fun. Cool. (laughs) Okay, let's move on. It's Depression Mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. Amy Mann has been writing and recording music for decades. She became famous in the 80s as part of the band Till Tuesday with their top 10 single, Voices Carry. Amy's debut solo album came out in 1993, and she's put out many albums since, including the 2018 album Mental Illness. A lot of people know her work from the soundtrack for the film Magnolia, which included the song Save Me. Amy Mann has won Grammy Awards. NPR called her one of the 10 greatest living songwriters. Her new album is Queens of the Summer Hotel, a collection of songs written for a theater piece based on the book Girl Interrupted, which is a memoir about life in a mental hospital in the 1960s. Amy has dealt with mental health issues for many years. That's included a stay in a hospital with PTSD, dissociation, anxiety, and depression. In 2020, Amy developed a nervous system disorder. She believes it was caused by childhood trauma and stress stemming from COVID. We'll talk about that situation in just a bit. First, we're going to talk about the new music. I've seen this described by by listeners and by writers as a follow-up to your album, Mental Illness, and not a follow-up to your album, Mental Illness. Can I get a ruling on that? Uh, it's, it's not a follow-up uh, because it's a really specific project that exists on its own. But uh, certainly the, the subject matter is, you know, literally mental illness. I mean, almost more literally than the record called Mental Illness. I would say it's right up my alley. That's not a technical term, but that's uh, <laughs> that that would describe it. There's a thematic resonance, I suppose. Yeah. The album is based on music that you've created for a piece of theater based on the book Girl Interrupted. Right. So I was asked to to write music for a stage production of Girl Interrupted. And I think that was... Just a general idea and not not really a specific idea, just, you know, some kind of stage production. There was a writer and a director, but no script and not really a clear idea of how anybody wanted to proceed. So I got the book and I just started marking passages that I thought would make good songs and had a lot of ideas, like reading the book and and sort of seeing the shape that it could take and themes that it would have. And making notes on characters and, you know, songs I thought certain characters could sing. And, well, you know, it was just really off and running. And where is the idea for this as a piece of theater at the moment? 
I don't know because I okay. there there wasn't a script for a long time and I had already written a bunch of songs. And I don't know, the last version I read only had four songs within it. So I, I don't know if that's going to stay or if they have plans on adding. It just, you know, I think that because of the pandemic and probably other reasons, it it just wasn't moving along very quickly. So, you know, I think, I mean, I know it's been five years since I've had my last record, but <laughs> it's like I, even that is a faster pace than the apparently the theater pace. So, you know, I was just like, come on, this has to come out. I mean, I think the record was done at the beginning of the pandemic. So the release was was delayed as most people's uh, records were delayed by the pandemic. But so this has been ready to go for a while. I'm really glad to see it out. Yeah, yeah. And again, it draws from the book. It doesn't draw from the film adaptation that that was made several years ago. No, I've never seen the film adaptation. I think there's probably a couple reasons for that. I mean, I think they got the rights directly from the the book writer and and I and also it's when you read the book it's kind of clear that there's not like a real like plot it's not a narrative it's more sort of descriptions and scenes that kind of stand on their own and so I think that you like as a writer of a narrative have to kind of create a story out of you know out of the clues that that are in the book so there's probably drastically different ways to approach that. Yeah, there's. It's. I saw where the author described it as more anthropological and not so much a, an arc right. to it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you say you were making notes of the things that resonated with you. Were they resonating just because you found them interesting, or were, were they directly echoes of things that you, as a, a person, have gone through? Well, both. But I, you know, I mean, my first job was to be was to serve the text and, you know, and there were things that seemed important and also just things that seemed like, oh, this is obviously, could obviously be turned into a song, like a, an obvious place for a song. And because there's a lot of different characters or, you know, inmates that were discussed and described and, you know, and also because her experience was a group experience. I mean, she's being anthropological about it, but she's, she's describing a number of women who are fellow inmates. And so it seemed clear that it wouldn't be just a story about her. So you'd want to have the main characters each have a song. So that's just kind of the, the approach. Like that would, that's sort of the first, the first lines. What are the things that really stick out? What are the themes that really stick? You know, there's a lot of narrative ruminations on certain things. And her suicide attempt is one, and just the nature of insanity is another, that kind of thing. There's a scene with a doctor who diagnoses her in 15 minutes, and I just, you know, I, that was kind of irresistible. So these were the notes that I made and, you know, the kind of the first songs that I ended up writing. Yeah, it kind of, it, it doesn't stay on her as the, as the main character, like from her perspective all the way through. It jumps around to the different characters, right? Yeah, and I think that if you take an anthropological approach, you don't tend to give a lot of information about yourself. So, you know, inevitably the the subject, you know, the focus shifts on other people. I wanted to ask about the song Suicide is Murder because it, the 15 minute song, it's obviously a, a doctor who is being very patronizing towards the idea of, of any complexity coming from, from women or from girls. Suicide is Murder seemed like it, if it got to something larger necessarily, but it kind of hit differently. It, it, it 
really it felt i don't know more universal maybe for me that that song you know starts out in the voice of the narrator is talking about her suicide attempt in like a really particular way. She's sort of saying, in my opinion, this is the mindset that you have to have. You have to be detached from the horror of it. It's like a murder in that it requires a certain emotional detachment. Suicide is murder. You've got to And so that is how I started. But, you know, but as as I'm writing, I'm inevitably thinking about the people I know who committed suicide, like Scott Miller from the Loud family, who, you know, I was fairly close with. And just the the resonating waves of sadness and guilt and responsibility that come off somebody's suicide that that's never ending that feeling really started to overtake me and so that was more the what i started to write about sort of halfway through the song Calibrated is that personal connection then. I mean, you've you've dealt with some mental health situations yourself and trauma and depression. And when you're writing something that is based on material of other people also dealing with this thing, do you say, okay, I'm gonna put 30% Amy in here and 70% of this person? Like, like how deliberate is that? You know, I try to write what is there in the book and then I just think inevitably something, you know, you you end up putting your own, not your own spin, but your own, like I said, like you have to fill in, or I felt like I had to fill in a lot of blank spots because Susanna Kesa doesn't really talk about her feelings. She doesn't talk about her history. She doesn't talk about her childhood. She doesn't talk about her parents. You don't know what happened to her? And that kind of was like the first question where you're like, what happened? Because to me, it felt really clear. Look, this is my opinion. But, you know, based on my experience and my knowledge, having read 10,000 books, psychology books, it felt very that there was a PTSD component, that there was trauma. I mean, my personal opinion is that borderline personality disorder comes from trauma. It's PTSD symptoms. I mean, that's just my own opinion. But, but that notwithstanding, I, just, I still felt like we don't get the whole story. So for me, there was like a secret backstory. Like I had to, you know, kind of invent a backstory that was a subtext. Like what an actor would do, you know, when... Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Based on a friend of mine who had um, been molested by their piano teacher 
and it's sort of tied into the idea of Girl Interrupted at her music, which is the Vermeer painting that she's so affected by. So this was a this was like a backstory in my own mind, you know, that I kind of wrote into it. So, you know, not necessarily my own experience, but listen, honestly, I mean, if you're a woman in America, you have experience getting molested. Like, that's just the way it is. So I certainly could relate to it. I can relate to my friend, my friend's experience. And you fold all of these things in, you know, a lot of times sympathy for other people is, is a way of processing things that have happened to you. How is your mental health in the writing of all this music and the recording of all this music? Because it's gets to some pretty intense places. Not that was fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because you are, you know, I am sort of removed. I don't know, like it is always, you know, I put myself in, in it as much as I can. But I'm also, it's fun and thrilling to be a craftsman and doing a job. I don't know how to, I, I don't know a way to make that convey like the thrill and artistry, not artistry. I mean, like, I don't want to say I'm, you know, fucking Picasso or something, but, but like to no, do. All you are is Amy Mann. <laughs> to do like a, to do like the, ta you know, like my task is to write songs that are based on this book and these characters and to be able to get inside it and sort of deliver what it needs, you know, like or what I think it needs is it's just like a thrill ride. Like it's super fun and exciting and you know, you just go into this, into this place, but like, it never goes into, I mean, I don't think I, I think sort of like the darkest it got is just, is, is writing suicide is murder and just, you know, reliving just how sad, you know, how, how rough, I mean, like that it, it's fucking murder in the way that like it, it kills a part of everybody who's left behind, you know, like that's, that was the hardest one. That's the part, I mean, that song I think was very, a lot to hear. I mean, it was a beautiful song it was, and very direct and very intense. That part of it, that if you do this, you're going to kill a part of, of everybody you leave behind. What was that like to write that out? Were you feeling that, yeah. that death and that pain in that? I was feeling it so much that even though I felt like the song, that the passage in the book was, you know, almost being glib or kind of darkly humorous about this approach. Like, well, you gotta look at it like murder. You gotta make a list and, you know, like like that kind of thing. I could not stay with that program, you know, even though I felt like that was the assignment because it was just too much. And, and you know, a good friend of mine had his son, his teenage son had, had committed suicide and it was just, it's just broken him in a way that I mean, I'll never recover from. Like, I just kept thinking about that. So, you know, it was hard to stay, you know, I just, I couldn't stay on task. I felt like, look, I got, you know, I had, this is, this is what is personally overtaking me. When I first started talking about mental health in any kind of media sense, it was in response to my brother's death by suicide. And that was the main message I wanted people to know. Like, I mean, it's still a bargaining thing, I think, for me. I'm like, no, if people just know this, then I can control it, then I can stop it. But but they need to know that everyone's going to be broken forever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Listen, it's not like I don't have sympathy for people who are contemplating suicide or feel like there's no, 
there's no other answer. Like, I understand. I understand what that black hole is. It's just that this is also a factor. It just is, you know, like, and it has to be like, you at least get to say it. Yeah. You know, I, I think I know the answer to this already. But when when you write from the first person in your songs, not just on this album, but in all your music, you're not writing about yourself necessarily. Is that correct? Like, if you say I in a song, are you yeah. talking about Amy Mann? No. Okay. I mean, sometimes in part, like, but that's my secret. <laughs> you know, sure. Like, <laughs> but, you know, you have to adopt the character because your own personal details, like, might not be germane to the plot of the song. Yeah. Does that cause a lot of confusion and awkward conversation when you're talking with people who are fans of your music? Do people think that? I don't know. I mean, they probably do because it would be hard not to because, you know, the person is saying I. I think in this context, it's, uh, you know, I'm very clearly trying to write from another character's point of view. There's certainly moments where I go like, oh, I relate to this, but like not not all the time. I mean, I wonder if it's then a, a, a relief to write from from source material where Clearly, some of these songs are from the points of view of, of some of the characters. So there's no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not necessarily relief. Like, it was just, I don't know. It was like, a, it's fun. It's, like, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. It's fun. It is like an actor, like you said before, like thinking, well, how would this person feel? You know, like, how would this person, what's this? A song like Home By Now, I thought... She is in this incestuous relationship with her father, and there's an enormous amount of brainwashing, uh, of course, that goes along with that. And so, you know, when I was in treatment, I had a friend who had been in an incest, I mean, been in like, I hate to even use that term, but as if it's voluntary, but, you know, was in a a sexual incestuous sexual relationship with her her father from you know an extremely young age and she said i just explained it to myself by saying like oh well we have this forbidden love that other people don't understand and so that's what i was thinking when i wrote the song sorry to get super dark and like that's the other thing i didn't make the song isn't dark it's like deliberately bright and because She's been brainwashed into thinking this, but also she has to continue the she has to continue to think this because the alternative thoughts are just are too horrifying. They're too terrible. Like you can't think that your parent has betrayed you in this disgusting manner for your entire life. You have to, you know, you have to think of it in some other way. Do you think that to to write songs about mental health and about some of these situations that you're talking about. Do you think that the writer needs to be completely on top of everything about their own mental health? Like, do you, do you need to have it all locked down before you set out to write songs about it? Well, I think that's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible to have everything She caught my down. trick question. Yeah. Darn it. Yeah. You can have a certain amount of insight about yourself and, and still surprise yourself like there are definitely things that I write where I go you know like the second I write it I go oh my god I'm talking about x y or z you know like I'm 
that refers to this thing that I didn't, you know, like you don't realize it when you're writing it. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about, in reading up about this album, I, there was some stuff that, that I didn't know about. I wanted to ask about the vestibular migraine and tinnitus and, and distortion in your hearing that, that developed at one point. Can you oh, fill yeah. me in a little bit more on that? Oh, that was my pandemic. Just ahead, very pronounced physical symptoms stemming from some mental health problems. Because really, there is no mental health or physical health. There's just health. And Amy Mann's health wasn't so good. Back now with Amy Mann talking about recently developing physical symptoms that made things like singing and hearing very difficult. I was sick for for about a year from like last August to, and I started getting better this last summer. I mean, not last, a year ago, August. I had an episode of vertigo that immediately turned into what was later diagnosed as vestibular migraine. But you know, if you, anybody in the migraine world kind of knows that migraine is like a term for a neurological disorder that we don't understand and that can take all sorts of shapes. And, you know, my symptoms were a dizziness, but like this feeling of being just sick all the time and the closest I could come to describing it was, it felt like uh, having a concussion and also like a terrible, like a that alcohol poisoning hangover. You know, if you had 14 shots of tequila the night before. Real bender kind of. And you had to wake up really early the next day like that because you're on the edge of spinning, you know, like you're on the edge of movement and, and you just feel super sick. And so it wasn't like a headache. But and then I had a like a lot of other symptoms too. Um, I lost a lot of weight. I was down to 110 pounds. It was just like you know, totally. My blood pressure got super low. I had you know gastrointestinal stuff. So it's like a real cluster of symptoms. And and then this the hearing thing where my hearing and that's still to a certain extent present. Like it's distorted in kind of an upper upper mid-range level. So it distorts what you're hearing, like the Absolutely. sound that you're perceiving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I'm stressed or tired or whatever, like it it's also like certain sounds will like set off kind of a firestorm of tinnitus. So it's like a it's like feedback. It's like feedback on stage, you know, where you talk into a mic and it goes wee like yeah, yeah. But you know, probably like 4 or 5k, 6k something like that. But it's distorted, so like I literally couldn't listen to music, and because it just sounded like shit, and it was, and it sounded like not analog distortion, John, which would have been nice, but like digital distortion. <laughs> uh huh. Well, you, you said four, four or five k. What what is the k in that? What are you referring to? It's like four thousand uh, hertz. Just jumping in here, hertz refers to sound waves. And the general range of human hearing goes from 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz. So when Amy says she lost her ability to hear the range of 4,000 hertz, she lost the ability to hear right around this sound. 
All right, back to the interview. Do you know anything about what was causing this? Well, it, eventually my neurologist said she thought I had a nervous system disorder. And then, you know, but like nervous system specialists are really hard to come by. And then like, you know, the only appointment I could get was like a December or something from, you know, a year later. But then I came across, you know, I started coming across this information, you know, this is like the, this is the good part of the, the algorithm, you know, on like Instagram, like I started coming across information about chronic pain, which I was like, well, it's not really pain exactly, but but I started sort of just paying attention to the to research that had been done. So what I realized and and I was I sort of suspected this because one of my neurologists had said had had said that there was a connection between migraine and PTSD and I was like I felt on some level I felt like there was some kind of connection. So apparently what happens is if you have a history of PTSD or childhood stress, or even like a lot of stressful events, your nervous system becomes really reactive. And so when it becomes reactive, if your brain feels like it's in danger, it produces pain signals, which, which aren't always just pain. They can be dizziness and gastrointestinal stuff and pressure, feelings of pressure and muscular tension and, you know, so like a, a, a variety of, of symptoms. Uh, tinnitus is one of them. So there are exercises that you can do to calm your nervous system, like somatic tracking and, you know, kind of cognitive behavioral therapy type type of stuff. And as soon as I read about that, I was like, that's what's happening. Like it was, it felt... 100% obvious that that was what was happening. And also like exhaustion, you know, fatigue had been going on for years anyway. But I think that the stress of the pandemic probably added on Wow, uh, a bunch of symptoms, especially the isolation. Like that was the hardest for me. It's, it's interesting to hear about the tinnitus and the distortion because, you know, I know you, you've been on some other shows I've been on and, and used an ear monitor to make sure that what you were sending out was what you wanted to be. And it was very, very precise. And um, that hurt when I heard that for you, even more so than I probably for other musicians, because like, oh my God, I know how crucial that sound is for Amy. Well, I played a handful of shows since in September. And to be honest, like when they were booked, I was like, <laughs> I don't, I mean, I can't even like stand for a period of time without being dizzy so like I did not see how I could play these shows but I just got you know I got well enough and also what I discovered was that playing with other musicians was so like soul soothing I think it was very helpful to my nervous system to be first of all around other people to be playing in a group to be hearing music and and sonically, it was okay. I like it was okay, but I still can't. I'm still not listening to music. It's just like certain, you know, when it comes out of certain speakers or like hearing something on the phone or talking on the phone, like that crunchy sound is like it's it's really really triggering. It sounds very very distorted. Yeah. Wow. So then that started about a year ago. You said, or that was happening a year ago. That started like August. 2020. Okay. And then when was the album recorded? 
I'd finished the the record. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And I was trying to master it. So it was done, the mixes were done, and then I was trying to master it about a year ago, and I was trying to listen back to the master, and I could not. It sounded distraught. I thought something was wrong with my computer. Like, that's how I realized that my hearing was so fucked up. Because I took my computer to my husband and I was like, can you fix this? Because like, it's really distorting everything I play. And he's like, it sounds fine to me. Yeah, I had, to, I had to send it to people and say, you know, like, this is the sound I'm looking for. This is, compare it to this record, compare it to these mixes and tell me if it's in the right ballpark. But I can't, I can't tell. I can't tell. I don't know. How much better are you now from where you were a year ago? Uh, like 80, 80% better. Okay. And you said that you started to learn more about it. You started to learn of, you know, the, the possible trauma roots and some of this stuff. Did that improve with that knowledge that psychologically did that improve? Yeah. I mean, it is like such a psychological, you know, you know, the body keeps the score, right? The Bessel van der Kolk, right? My hero. Yeah. You know, he he talks a lot about how how stress impacts you physically and like on a cellular level, you you remember traumatic events in in a way that you're like I don't have a lot of explicit memory in a lot of ways, but like then Im- implicit memory is sort of you know it's more like when you when you have symptoms, it, it's a way of remembering, right? Yeah, and the body's trying to deal with it by just making attempt after attempt after attempt. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I always thought that the idea of a mind-body connection was in a general way, but not in this, not in such a specific way. And I just, I've kind of realized, like, you know, one one thing that, that I kept thinking all through this, you know, I was, I didn't feel, like, stressed. Like, I didn't feel anxious, and I've certainly like had a history of anxiety, but like I've really dealt with it. And so I didn't feel it. But all the symptoms were of extreme anxiety, you know, like like dizziness and a feeling of pressure in your head and an upset stomach and dry mouth and heart palpitations. So like I had all the symptoms of panic, but not, but I didn't feel it. But it's like you are feeling it. Like that is the way of feeling it. It was just really strange to have only physical symptoms and not this sort of like mental, you know, mental, emotional feelings. Yeah, because the PTSD is operating physically Yeah. way yeah. way below the surface. It's like your, your system is hyperadrenalized. And so you're have so those are the symptoms you're having, these hyperadrenalized symptoms. I always harp on this, but when people talk down about therapy or about Bessel van der Kolk's work or about trauma, you know, like, oh, you're just reliving the past. I'm like, no, I'm trying to relive the past so I can figure out where the fuck I'm going in the future. Well, also, yeah, you're trying to, it's, you're not trying to relive the past. You're trying to bring the events of the past into a left brain narrative that then can be processed. But I mean, how how am I supposed to process a, a feeling of dizziness and nausea? I, right. Like, I don't know. Like, that's really hard to process. But there are techniques to process it, which I've, you know, sort of discovered. Like, there are techniques to process it. And then, and the more you can process it and tie those two things together, the less likely you are to just have them overtake you. I feel so happy that you're that you're feeling better. And this is a less important thing. But are you writing new music? I just wrote a song. I think when I'm in the middle of a 
you know, a brand new project. I don't really have like a let's get let's get back on the horse thing yet. Yeah, right. I do have a vague idea for what I want my next record to be, but you know, but that's still floating in the ether. All right. Well, I'm I'm glad to know that the ether is out there and there's something floating in it. <laughs> Amy Mann, thank you as always. Thank you so much, John. It's great to talk to you. Great to talk to you. Go listen to Amy Mann's new album, Queens of the Summer Hotel. It's a good way to spend your time. You know, there are some phrases, some things people say that are just never, ever helpful. Calm down, for instance. No human in recorded history has ever calmed down after being told, calm down. Here's another one. You have nothing to be depressed about. Uh, Depression isn't a response to a solitary event. That's called sadness or being upset. Depression is something different. I'm going to nominate one more useless phrase. It's all in your head. People might say that to indicate a problem, like a health problem, with the implication that the problem is imaginary or self-imposed or some sort of internal misunderstanding. The thing is, of course the problem is in your head. That's where the brain is. It's in charge of interpreting stimulus. It's in charge of pain and response to threats. All pain is based in your head by definition. But that doesn't mean it's imaginary because the head is part of the body. Let's remember this. Remove one from the other and both tend to do quite poorly. An issue like trauma or stress, depression, is a physical issue and not only a mental issue. There is no mental health or physical health there's health. Speaking of, let's get our bodies and our minds to a good place right after this. Well, Manolo, we have a show to promote. It's called Dr. Game Show. It's a family-friendly podcast where listeners submit games and we play them with callers from around the world. No, sounds good. New episodes uh, happen every other Wednesday on MaximumFun.org. It's a it's a fast and loose oasis of absurd innocence and naivete. And Are you writing a poem? No, and just saying things from my memory. And uh, it's a nice break from reality. <laughs> Is that, are we allowed to say that? I don't know, it sounds bad. It comes with a 100% happiness guarantee. It does not. (laughs) Come for the games and stay for the chaos. Hello, I'm Riley Smurl. I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. And we host Still Buffering, a cross-generational guide to the culture that made us. Every week, we share media that made us who we are. Things like Archie Comics. Sailor Moon. And lots of Taylor Swift. And now that Riley's an adult, it comes with 100% more butts. And now I am totally comfortable with it. So check out new episodes of Still Buffering every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Butts, butts, butts. Join in, Riley. Butts, 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 All right. We know what time of year this is. This is the holiday season. 
And uh, as if there isn't enough stress already in your life, now it's a special kind of holiday shopping and bills and grief and inherited trauma, the whole thing. Uh, so we're going to take a meditation moment to to try to just find a little island of, of calm in the middle of that. Our friend Laura House is here for a meditation moment, and uh, she's with the Tiny Victories podcast, and she's a writer. And the two things I always advise, there's going to be silence in here. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with your podcast player. And if you want to participate in this meditation moment and are driving, please pull over safely. I don't mean to make this sound like a drug, but at any time, you can get a little bit of serotonin, a yep. little bit of dopamine. You can just check it. So this is how easy it is. You just close your eyes. Sit comfortably. How, however is comfortable for you. And even if you have to move or scratch an itch, that's fine too. Close your eyes and just notice your breath. Might be the first time today or all year. You just notice. You're going to have thoughts, it's fine, but just notice your breath. Slowly open your eyes. I was thinking that could be good to do before your to-do list. Yes. <laughs> or in the middle of Target. <laughs> right. <laughs> or right before the big dinner. Or Right, right, right. <laughs> Right before dad says, I want to talk to you. <laughs> right before decorating. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, and I noticed, Laura, you're not, you're not doctrinaire about where the breath needs to come in through and out through the nose or mouth. You're not, you're not hung up on that. I'm not. I got to say, you know how to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> I got to say, I, it would be weird for me to tell your body how to do this thing it's been doing the whole time. Yeah, yeah. You've literally been doing it your whole life. You've been doing it. It's an involuntary thing. So I, I, what I like about it was when I realized you're just noticing it. It is happening. You're yeah. noticing it the same way you go to see a sunset. The sunset is happening, but you're having an experience because you're noticing it. Does yeah, that you, make sense? You don't need to worry about what you're doing with your nose for a sunset. <laughs> no, your nose is your nose has got it. Your nose has got this nailed. Laura House, you can find her at laurahouse.com and as the co-host of the Tiny Victories podcast here on Maximum Fun. Laura, thank you as always. Yeah, thank you. Next time on Depression Mode, if you want to make it big in comedy, you should follow that age-old path. Grow up Mormon in Utah, be secretly gay, go on a church mission and have it be a big disaster, 
and then become a success. At this point, had like basically stopped going to church. Had even admitted to my mom. She had like come to me and been like, "Do you believe in this?" And I was like, "I don't." But then I moved to LA. I think I was 24, 25, four and a half years in. I would say I was like, "Okay, well, I've given this a shot. It's not working out." And about a month later, Jimmy Kimmel reached out to me and offered me a job to write. Bridger Weinegard joins us. If people support our show through a small donation, we can keep being here together. If not, we have to stop. We can't do it. If you donate already, you are making Depression Mode happen. You made this episode happen. You made the talk with Amy Mann occur. Thank you. If you haven't donated, it's super easy. Find a level that works for you at MaximumFun.org join. Hey, I wrote a book. It's called The Hilarious World of Depression. It's a memoir. It's about mental health and life, and there are jokes in it, and it makes a lovely gift for the holidays. Be sure to hit subscribe on Depression Mode. Give us five stars. Write reviews. That helps more people find out about the show, which helps our mission of getting those conversations happening, which is why... I get up and go to work and make the show. I want you to know that the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24-7 for free at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. The Crisis Text Line, also free and always available. Text HOME to 741741. Our electric mail address is depressmode at maximumfun.org. We would love to get some sounders from you. The little positive plug at the end of the show that we get from listeners. Record one on your voice message app, electric mail it to us. If you've done one before, you could do another one. It's fine. If you're on Facebook, look up our mental health discussion group, Preshies. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DepressPod. Our Depression Mode newsletter is on Substack. Search that up. It's free. I'm on Twitter at John Moe. Hello, Credits listeners. If you send me proof that you bought my book for someone as a gift and you give me the name of that person, I will make a bad drawing of an animal for that person and send you a picture. You can do that over Twitter. Depression Mode is produced by Gabe Mara. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Rhett Miller wrote and performed our theme song, Building Wings. I'm always falling off of cliffs now Building wings on the way down I am figuring things out Building wings, building wings, building wings No one knows the reason Maybe there's no reason I just keep believing No one knows the answer Maybe there's no answer I just keep on dancing Hey John, this is Dee from the East Coast and I want to say that you are fabulous. Thanks for being you. Depression Mode is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Bye now. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.